Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and and I'm in a different part of the country. I I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're really reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got an interesting email this week. He says, thank you for taking my email in question. My girlfriend and I listen to you on the radio and she respects your opinion as I do. So here's the question. I've been separated for nine months. I'm working on a divorce. Is it okay to date? I believe it is. But she's not comfortable with being around people who know my divorce is not final. Can you help? He kind of answered it when he, when he said, you know, I know that I'm not divorced, but the truth of the matter is if you are not, if you're not divorced, you shouldn't be dating. Now, I know that this is not the way of the world. As a matter of fact, I know that people get into relationships when they're officially not out. But I got to tell you, I really believe that it is important, absolutely essential for you to close a relationship and really work on grieving the loss, learning who you are, and making yourself better is what I believe. And so, you know, I get that it's very easy to be attracted to other people, and especially if you've been in an unhappy marriage, you're very, very susceptible. However, do one thing at a time, would you? Now, I know a lot of my listening audience They don't know how to do one thing at a time. And as a result, they get themselves entangled in all sorts of situations. It's interesting I said that word today because I don't know if you saw that Will Smith Jada Pickett 
interview, but they were basically talking about being with other people, at least Jada was. And she clearly said, clearly, um, she had been entangled with somebody. And I'm here to tell you, that's more than entanglement. That's involved in a relationship. And um, you don't grow when you jump from one thing to the next because you got to process it. Or as my Canadian friends say, process it. Now, I sure hope that I've worked everything out. I have had one of those days where everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. Well, actually in the last 36 hours when it comes to computers. My 27-inch Mac really just the love of my life, besides my husband and my dog, um, just crashed on me after I downloaded Catalina. And then it said the Catalina was um, corrupt. And then I had three Apple advisors, all of which made things worse and worse and worse. And I love my Apple guys and gals. But today it just wouldn't even open up. And then tonight, I'm getting ready to do the show, and my HP assistant is out of warranty. You know, they want you to subscribe again. And it is covering the announcement to the show. And this um, intro is really a commercial to other stations. I haven't used it for a long time, but, you know, it tells you how to contact my producer to um, hire me on your station. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. My HP assistant is covering that. I won't be able to shut off the show. So you know what I did? I quickly threw up my other computer because I literally had three computers today. My Apple, Big Apple, wouldn't work. My cheap, cheap, cheap HP and then my MacBook Air. So I threw that up, and believe it or not, I didn't even have to log in because I'd already logged in, and it just lo- just opened up. I could shut that intro down at right about the right time, and I went, okay, well, I sure hope that we are airing. But I really do think we are because we have a great, 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 great guest. Um, Dr. Piper Grant is going to be talking about how do you – talk to kids about sex addiction, and even more importantly, a topic that you won't hear much about, and that is when a disclosure is done. When do you include the family in the disclosure? What do you tell the kids about the disclosure? What do you tell adult kids about the disclosure? I mean, all sorts of questions that we as pioneers in the field have not really explored or examined yet. So I am really looking forward to her coming on because I can tell you right now, she's going to teach me a thing or two tonight. And I would listen up because even if it's not applicable to you, it should be to somebody in your support group, um, somebody in your community, at your church. Uh, I can't. You know, we've got to help each other through this epidemic. 
pandemic, if you will. And so, again, she's really going to talk about that parent-child relationship and what's age appropriate and, and, and her opinion. And she is an expert. So I am super excited to see what she has to say. And so I hope that you're doing okay. I mean, obviously, so many people are still in lockdown. So many people are really trying to figure out where they're going to where they're going to go next in life because their their world has been shaken. And if your world has been shaken, then I want you to know that you absolutely have lots of options that you probably aren't even aware of. And that's why it's super important, super important to really understand how important it is for you as somebody who may feel like you don't have any options to actually access your options. To have a positive mindset, and you have to believe that this whole thing is going to get better. You got to. And when you're, you know, when you're really feeling positive, and when you look at life as an adventure, and when you go in for the big ask, which of course is asking for help, you'll find that you attract what you need in your life to cope better. Because really, coping is all about mental energy. Why I know if you're a sex addict and you're working on your recovery and you've watched the, the damage you've done, there are lots of opportunities to have more communication and to get, to get healthy and to do good things for the family. You know, I kind of feel like what we're talking about tonight is going to be, you're going to be able to stop generations, generations of people who um, are growing up wondering about the technical world and what it brings. And you and I both know this compulsion gets worse and worse and worse unless recovery tools are utilized with regularity. You can't get complacent. Speaking of recovery tools, this will be my last infomercial for the for the summer. Um, many of you know I have a workshop that's going to be occurring this Saturday on Help Her Heal. I ask that you buy the online course, Help Her Heal. It's for men, but women are taking it too. Couples are taking it. They're really, really enjoying it. And if you have taken it, then you are entitled to purchase my workshop, my live interactive workshop that I'm having from 10 to 1 Eastern Standard Time. There's still time to register for both the course and the workshop by going to my website, www.sexhelpwithcarolthecoach. Uh, Go to the workshop page. 
Well, first you got to go to the homepage and get the online course so that you can review it before Saturday and then you can do the workshop. And here's my belief. My belief is that this stuff is hard and it really helps when you have repetition and you read it and, you know, with the online course, you hear it. You have access to that course for the rest of your life. You hear me talking about it because I've pre-recorded modules. You got exercises. I think about 26 homework assignments and 23 articles. You got an interview with Patrick Carnes that I did for a podcast. You've got some YouTubes that I think are very helpful. And it's just a way to stay in the know as to how to help a partner heal by using empathy, by tweaking your relationship skills, your reflective listening skills, your mirroring, you know, figuring out how to do trigger busters and what do you do when you see that your partner's triggered? How can you help him or her work through it? And what is it that you need to do to help your partner feel safe? And that is what this course teaches. And then I'm going to do questions and answers. I'm going to have some role plays, I hope. I'm assuming some people are going to volunteer to um, talk about their strengths, talk about their weaknesses, and they're just going to be able to make it their own. And this is just going to be like you're in my class and we're talking together. So, again, go to my website, www.sexhelpwithcarolthecoach, sign up for the online course, help her heal, and then you can register for the workshop. And I don't know about you, but I don't know a lot of people who are offering live workshops. I mean, that's what it's all about when you can talk to the author and the podcaster and, and, and just professionals that really want to help. Now, again, that's what Dr. Piper Grant is doing tonight. She's going to be discussing the importance of how to talk with your children about sex addiction, even more importantly, disclosure, since that is such a hot topic. So, Dr. Piper Grant, welcome to Sex Help with Carol the Coach. Thank you for having me. So good to be here tonight. Yes, well... You know, this is a mind-boggling topic because nobody knows what to do. And when I talk to my families about it, they're scared to do the wrong thing. And so you know what they do. They do nothing. (laughs) And so I couldn't wait to talk to you because you really are an expert in this field of parent-child relationships. Can you tell me a little bit about how you developed the specialization, and uh, what made you decide I'm going to work with families and I'm going to work with kids? Yeah, you know, it happened uh, organically. I guess we could say something like that. I am a licensed clinical psychologist, and my specialty at the time, when I went into graduate school and I went into my doctorate program, I knew I wanted to go into sex therapy and doing work around sexuality. And the school that I was at, in order to get experience within the realm of sexuality and couples work particularly, 
I had to enter what was called their family program. And so you do work around family, children, and couples. And because they look at uh, the family, they look at it systemically, I got exposure to working with the entire family system. And I had done a lot of pre- and post-doctoral work with children. And my training was in child development. And yet at the same time, I was doing all of this work within the realm of sex therapy and then sex addiction work. And so when I was working with couples, they would know that I also had this expertise and this, and this, this experience in working with children. And so I'd be working with my couples in recovery and or just an, an individual, an addict or a partner, and they'd come to me and they'd say, you know, Piper, we have to talk to our children, or my children discovered this, or my child said this to me and they're noticing this is happening. How do we talk to them? What do we do? And, you know, Carol, it was over a decade now, but it just started, you know, I would say, well, why don't you bring your child in? Let's just do some work together. I am a trained family therapist. I feel really comfortable working with the entire family system. And slowly over time, we had no protocols in place. You know, there was very little literature out there. And yet I had some wonderful clients that I worked with that trusted me and knew that we were starting to navigate this together and really always holding, though, in mind what was best for the child. And then from that also what happened is adult children started learning about my work. And so I would then have adult children of sex addicts come and uh, work with me. And it it just became, I mean, I smile as I talk about it. It became an, an area of our field and our work that I absolutely love and I feel so passionate about, especially within the field of addiction and thinking about how we can end cycles of addiction within family systems. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I've got to say, I know that there's no one answer for any age group, any sex, adults, kids, tweens, teens, but I did wonder, can you answer, how do you think that sex addiction impacts children and the family in general? Mm-hmm. 100%, Carol. I mean, it doesn't, it, there is no one set answer, and I appreciate you recognizing that because it is really dependent on not only the age of the children, because when I talk about children of sex addicts, I talk about both a adult child or a minor child. So I appreciate you recognizing that. And also we have to look at developmentally where children are at and if the child has special needs, et cetera, and whatever is going on in the family system. But we do see generally, if we can kind of generalize from there, we do see certain impacts. And now with sex addiction, it's really interesting because it's also dependent on the type of addiction, how discovery happened, and, and really what the resulting changes are. So if you have an addict who maybe is, is a poor, if we have a porn addiction in the family, um, that looks very different than if you have uh, if a proclivity to pain for sex. That impacts the family system differently. There might have been exposure to pornography by a child. A child might have... Uh, seen one of their parents looking at pornography or come across pornography on a phone or on the computer, something like paying for sex if there's been large amounts of expenditure of money, there could have been lost finances. And so there might have been a home that was lost or vacations that couldn't have been taken. And so 
dependent on on really what the the type of sex addiction is and then how that you know kind of plays out in the family system obviously plays a role but we also look at how that impacts the change in family structure is there going to be a separation or a divorce does a family uh, does a family member or a parent have to go to treatment or do they go off to a like a, a long-term retreat or workshop. We also often see, particularly with sex addiction versus other addictions, we see a legacy of secrecy. That's something I often find in my work is a child, again, adult or minor, will come across information, be exposed to something, know that maybe there's sex outside of the primary marriage happening, something of the sort, and they then become a secret holder. And this, we see when I work with my adult children, has long-term effects on trust, on intimacy, on safety in relationships. We also see, depending again on the type of addiction and what the child's been exposed to or the knowledge, is we can see impaired beliefs about sexuality. There's a lot of repressed anger that I often find as well with children, both actually adult and minor children, because minor children typically know that something's going on, so there's a lot of repressed anger because there's many times unspoken, if you know what I mean, like things, children feel something's going on, but nothing's really being spoken to them about it, and so there's confusion and unspoken and anger around that. So these have major impacts on children and the entire family system as a whole. Oh, I absolutely agree with you. And and so when or why would a parent disclose their sex addiction to their children? Let's ask first mm-hmm. why and then let's ask when. Yeah, the why, the when, the what, right? <laughs> um, so exactly. the, why, the why is a really interesting one to look at because I think the motivations can be different. I always start with top level. And by the way, neither, any of them when I say nothing weighs more important or not, but I, I start with top level. If there's been a discovery of something by a child, if there's going to make major changes within the home or the family system, is there knowledge within the community? So that can be either within their church, within their general neighborhood, within the friend circle, you know, was there, was there an affair partner that uh, is known by the child and now there's changes? I, I, you know, I've seen many friend systems change because of knowledge of acting out behaviors and that impacts the child. Sometimes we see on our higher level cases either media coverage or incarcerations or possible trials. And so all of these are definite reasons, like, immediately to say, okay, hey, we have to look at how to have these discussions with our child because changes are going to be happening in their life, and we need to get ahead of it, essentially, and help them understand it and give them language around that. Below that, though, let's just say you're telling me, well, because often I will tell you, Carol, parents say to me, my kid doesn't know anything. Like, they, they, they have no idea what's going on. And... I challenge that a little bit because when I work with children, and this is, by the way, even with my work with children outside of addiction, just working with children in general, they observe everything and they feel 
everything. And so they might not know, quote, unquote, that there is a sex addiction or a discovery of a sex addiction or a betrayal within the family. But what they do know is that one of their parents might be crying more. What they do know is that their mommy their mommy isn't sleeping in the same bed as the other parent. Or what they do know is that they hear more yelling and screaming. Or, you know, I've had um, children say to me they recognize when a parent leaves the house at the same time every week, by the way, just to go to a meeting or therapy. We know that as the adults. But the child is wondering, why now is this parent leaving at the same time every week and then they come back and they look a little bit um, either happier or sadder or madder or whatever. And so the children see these things happening around them. And if they don't have the language or the understanding or the framework to make sense of it, they often, often make sense of it much more in a much more dramatic way, usually includes blaming themselves or thinking that they have a role in it or thinking that they actually can fix it, whatever it is that they're telling themselves. And as I even said before, it's immense confusion. And what we find with children is if you actually just give them a little bit of a framework for it, it helps settle them. And so why would be to give your child a sense of understanding of what's happening in their world? Because it's happening to them too. And so obviously, um, what do you do? when you've got a parent that wants to talk about it and a parent that doesn't think the timing's right or the topic is appropriate? You know, it's interesting how you mentioned both, the timing right and or the topic being appropriate because 100%, Carol, that is not uncommon to see. What I sometimes find is that the if if we're talking about addict partner both be motivated but both coming into having this conversation the addict might say i want to have the convert if they're motivated they are saying i want to have the conversation because i'm tired of holding secrets or you know I, I i need my children to know why i'm going away or they uh want to give some understanding around what's going on a partner might feel motivated in wanting to let their children know, again, this is with whether the children are in the household or out of the household, wanting to let the children know because often um, the partner, it, it's interesting, we can even talk about this later, but the partner sometimes gets, if we say, blamed more by children. Um, children often see more, uh, dysregulated behavior in the partner if we're even looking at a heterosexual kind of traditional couple of mom is taking care of the children more. Uh, children notice that their mom is is sadder more often or angrier and and that is actually more dysregulating to the children than maybe the the addict's behavior their the implication of the addict's behavior. And so it's not uncommon that if a partner comes forward and says, hey, I want, I, we need to tell the children I'm tired of having secrets or I need them to know they're blaming me, they're mad at me, the addict 
might not be ready to say, I don't, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to, like, to, how do I talk to these children? As you're saying, like, how, how do I talk to them and what am I telling them? I'm not ready to do this. We're still working on ourselves and or, you know, the addict might be like, I'm ready to tell them I've done my work. And the partner's like, no, I'm not ready to hold that because once we tell the children, I feel like I'm going to have to hold them in their healing. And I'm not ready to hold them in their healing because I'm not in a place of my own healing yet. And so I honor that. I 100% honor that. Um, when I do work with families, very similar for anybody that's listening or is very is familiar with the formal disclosure process, I don't go into these types of conversations and or disclosures with children lightly. It's not like you. It's not like we talk about it on a Thursday and we say, "Hey, let's do this on a Tuesday." We spend weeks preparing and we go through questions and prompts. And all of this is to help get them on the same page. So for me and my work, if a couple comes to me or parents come to me, and by the way, I just want to know, they don't have to be together or committed. I mean, I've had parents that are deciding to separate or divorce that are already separated, really, and uh, have decided that they want to come together and talk to their children. That's co-parenting. So when I'm talking about parents, I'm not even set in my mind on where the relationship status has to be. Um, so anyway, fast forward, if, if parents come to me, I say, okay, then you're bringing up this discussion. If so-and-so you are on board, but so-and-so you're not on board, not a problem. Let's do some work around it. Let's see what it is that you're, what's holding you back, or let's see what it is that's motivating you and get us onto the same page. So it's, it's preparation, and, and hopefully then once we get to the end of that preparation work and we've really teased it out, they are able to, they're then able to come together because there's a security of knowing, okay, I know what information we're sharing. I know why we're sharing it. I know what motivations we're having. I know what language we're using. I know what we're not sharing. I know what our aftercare plan is. We're good. We can do this together. Um, that, it, it's the preparation. It's all in the preparation, I believe. And, and then going to your second kind of part of the question of the information, just to tease that part out is we do do work around what information. It's all about boundaries, Carol. It's all about making sure that we uphold the boundaries of the parental subsystem and the parental subsystem to the child system. And so what information is appropriate to be shared and how is that shared? You know what language? And also, though, what information stays within the parental subsystem? Children do not need to know that one of their parents paid for sex, you know, three times a week and has had more than 100, part, you know, sexual partners outside of marriage. They don't need to know that. That's not what they need to know. But maybe what they need to know, depending on what age is the language used, but uh, mommy broke daddy's trust or daddy did something that really hurt mommy's feelings, or mommy and daddy had an agreement in their marriage, and I, I broke that agreement, and it really hurt your dad's feelings. Or, you know, older might be, we had an agreement of fidelity, and I broke that fidelity. And because of that reason, you know, we're, we're getting help right now. Like, you don't need to, but that's, the, that's kind of then fitting it to what's appropriate for the age, the developmental level, and what the couple is happy to share together, but we do that work to tease it out. Well, and I love that answer because clearly a child can then understand the tension, the tears, um, the arguments, the 
conflict, and they don't need to know the facts. Although certainly we have kids that have been raised in a day and age where they do believe they deserve the facts. And oftentimes, at least I found this to be true, sex addiction is such a betrayal to both parties that parents can sometimes use kids as their best friend or as their confidant and, and have already given them too much information. So I know that that also has to play a bit of a part in in recalibrating, if you will, how you then talk to a kid honestly but without details that will forever be a part of their brain. What do you think? Mm-hmm. You know what, I think the word that you say that sticks out for me is recalibrate, and 100%. It's, and, and you're right. I, I'm actually I'm really happy that you bring that up about how a parent either parentifies a child or, yes, uses another child as a crutch uh, to either talk about the other partner. And, and that's why I really emphasize that I work with the parents together, no matter where they are in relationship, because they, children do get, I guess we could say filtered, and I don't mean in the most appropriate way, but they get drabs of the information. And you're right, like, it, the parent can kind of maybe have some verbal diarrhea sometimes, or be dysregulated, or be in not, you know, the most kind of boundaried state, and let information out. And yet, that's only one side of the story or one part of the story, if we can put it like that. It's, um, and yet that information, as you said, sticks with the child. And the child then starts creating a larger narrative and understanding around it that oftentimes isn't even accurate or really grounded in what's actually happening and can elicit fears in them, not only confusion, but fears and, and they can tell themselves many, many stories. So, Yes, the opportunity of coming together and giving the child a full narrative. And, you know, I I hate, I I do, I sometimes hate going back to the idea of a formal disclosure with between the the partner and the addict, and yet it also operates in some similar ways of something as like, you know, when a partner enters a formal disclosure, I've worked with many partners who are like, I feel like I know all the information. Or an addict will say, I, you know, my partner knows everything. And it's like, yeah, okay, that's great. There's not going to be any surprises. And yet there's a lot of power in saying the story and giving the whole story at one time to really allow there to be an understanding of how all the pieces fit together and, and what's happening. And I think about the same thing for a child. Even if a child doesn't have all the information, and nor do they need to have all the information, as we're saying, um, having that opportunity to sit with them and give them the full story, as you said, it, it can recalibrate it for them and lessen anxiety, lessen fear, lessen confusion, lessen confusion, and actually is the anecdote to intimacy disorders because it, it's actually entering and modeling healthy intimacy and healthy communication by the parents to say, hey, we can sit down and have this hard conversation with you. And that, that feeling in itself right there. 
Well, I, I agree with you, and, and being a person that advocates for formal therapeutic disclosures, um, followed by emotional impact letters and restitution if the partner wants that, I have seen partners that learn new information and partners that didn't, but having that full story, as you said, put totally together from start to finish, it gives the partner, I find, it gives the partner an opportunity to understand it linearly. It helps them to see what a compulsion it had become, which they forget about that because it just feels like such an affront to them. And then, mm-hmm. more often times, I see the partner have almost a new compassion for the addiction and how it ravaged the addict. And so 95% of the time, it turns out to be a very positive, but painful, but positive experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And when there's that kind of, um, if you will, when there's that kind of clearing, the adults are better parents. And kids benefit from that. As long as you don't have, uh, you know, somebody who just really has perhaps obsessive compulsive thinking or OCPD or increased generalized anxiety that goes right into a trauma response and turns into post-traumatic stress or complex post-traumatic stress, other than those kind of experiences, it really is beneficial. Now, I remember in training. In my CSAT training, we did some role plays with obviously disclosures that occurred between husband and wife, and then even some disclosures where the children were involved. And they were secondary to, you know, they they occurred after the primary disclosure had occurred. Have you ever participated in one of those? No, and my mouth is, like, wide open because, I mean, obviously, you know, we've both been through CSAT trainings um, and continue to be involved in the ITAP community. And I, in, in when I did training around formal disclosures, I was, we did not have the involvement of any children, you know, not actual children, but not role-playing the involvement of any children. Mm-hmm. We obviously discussed the the how children, how, how can I say, I remember us discussing like a partner and an addict taking care of themselves and their follow-up care and their aftercare to make sure that they don't go home right away and be with the children and, you know, make sure the kids are taken care of to allow adequate time for processing. But I, my Carol, when I hear it, I actually smile a little bit. It, hopefully it was done well, I guess. If I'm assuming it was done well, but I smile because it's nice to know that that was recognized. When I went through training, it wasn't uh, part of the training mm-hmm. that I recall. Mm-hmm. Well, it had to be done very delicately, and it had to be agreed upon with the parents as to how this timeline was going to be presented. And so, you know, it would talk about um, dad got involved with looking at images on the Internet, and after a while – he kept thinking what else was out there, and he would look again and again and again, and it became a habit that turned into something like a compulsion. And so it was all 
talked about very generalized, but then it would even mm-hmm. it would even evolve into, and then Dad, you know, decided that he wanted to see what it would be like to be with other women. Now, we did not do uh, disclosures that involved uh, transgendered um, situations or things that were too complex for a child to even begin to comprehend. But they were very mm-hmm. straightforward, and they just kind of showed the timeline between the important things that had happened in the family and mom or dad, because, of course, the sex addict could have been a female too, and mm-hmm. what happened to them. And I just remember that um, I thought to myself, well, at the time, as a, as the beginning CSAT, I thought I am not doing any kind of disclosures because it just seems um, – too emotional and too volatile. But then, uh, becoming a partner specialist, perhaps that's, I knew that it was important for the truth to be known, again, if the partner wanted to know it, since she was the collateral damage. And I have never participated in one with kids. I just wondered if you had heard of that or if you had done one too. And, And like you said, no, but you're curious about it, curious how one would do that. I mean, not in the training. I've obviously now done many, many disclosures with families in my private practice and my, my work. I just had never, um, it was not something that we role played in the training, but it definitely now I've been, I say really blessed to have been part of many both formal disclosures between partners and addicts and now with children. And I say blessed, I have to tell you, and and because as you're talking, Carol, and you're saying about, you know, your first exposures to uh, formal disclosures and and then realizing what I hear you say is kind of realizing the power of them. I feel that too. And that's why I, when I get the opportunity to work with parents, that want to have this discussion with their children. I welcome it so, like, I just, my arms are wide open, and I, I embrace it because, like you said, with a formal disclosure, it's very similar. It can be very painful. It is very scary. It is very hard. For parents, it's, like, unknown. Like, what are we going to, you know, questions come up of, like, are we going to bring up things in our children's mind that they don't already have in their mind, and then is that going to be traumatizing for them? And so, it is about being gentle and being very mindful about what's best for the child. And yet also, I have been able to witness such uh, healing and openness that has come to entire families. And also, I would say, for just separate of the children, for the addict and the, the partner to I want to say almost live within their family system in full integrity because there's this interesting contradiction that happens of like in, in recovery, it's about living with integrity and without secrets and, and in openness, right. And learning boundaries in that as well. And yet my couples will often talk about, my parents will often talk about, and we're, but we're not practicing that at home. Like we're not having open discussions again, obviously boundaries, but we're not having this. Like, we're holding secrets from our children, and so is that, like, in itself creating these secrets again and this proclivity to the secrets? And so there is something, even as you're saying about the formal disclosure process, that 
can be very freeing for people in the best of ways. And I've seen it happen for children. I've seen children, their entire systems regulate of like, oh, I are, I, I think you can say, oh, I already knew. Like they didn't fully know, but they're like, I already, I knew. I knew that this was going on. Thank you. Like that makes sense to me now. Um, and that is a gift, I, I believe, in my work. And that's why I think I feel really passionate about it. Well, and and you and I both know, and you, you referenced it a little bit ago, but we are talking formal therapeutic disclosures. And unfortunately for our listening audience, um, there are people that say they know how to do disclosures that expect the partner and addict to come in on a 50-minute session lunch hour, deliver the news, and then send her back to her work and him back to his. And truly, a therapeutic formal disclosure takes lots of preparation for the addict to really fully do a timeline. And it takes lots of preparation for the partner to get her questions that she has that are specifically about the acting out, not about emotions, but about what happened. And putting that document together so that it really helps to answer all the questions that she's had and get out all the information that he's been holding within him. And it takes people that really know what they're doing. Now, I don't know about you, Piper, but I recommend Dan Drake and Janice, Janice Cottle's book on formal disclosures. Actually, I think it's called Full Disclosure. And mm-hmm. because it, for the partner and for the addict, and they have one for each person, it really helps to create the structure um, that that this process requires. And I think they do a beautiful job at at helping both the partner and the addict get comfortable with the process. Do you use any specific materials when you're doing a therapeutic formal disclosure? So 100% when I'm doing a therapeutic formal disclosure, um, I think that's a great, between partner and addict, I think it's a great reference as well and a great text. And I, 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 I will uh, co-sign on that emphasis that going back up a little bit is that a formal disclosure takes time and preparation. And I, 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 I always talk about, like, we have to slow it down. I know that there might be urgency or anticipatory anxiety, but when we take care around it, when we prepare for both addict and partner, when we're talking about formal disclosure, it is then that that's why then it's healing and successful because it's not just hodgepodge together. So I, I, I want to just say, yes, I agree with you. It needs to be done by a trained professional that has experience in formal disclosure and immense time. I mean, when you talk about doing a formal disclosure in a 50-minute session on a lunch break, I cringe, you know, and I know it happens as well. I know it's happened for people because never in my wildest, like, in my mind could I ever imagine that being effective and how could that be helpful and healing and yet that could cause more trauma. When we talk about, though, a formal, when we talk about, I guess, a disclosure and or a conversation with children, though, it looks different in, this, in my work. I, I'll, I'll, in my work. In my work, it looks different. I, I, 
I have many question prompts that I have the addict and the, the partner fill out. And the prep work is looking at motivation for doing the disclosure. What, you know, what are their concerns? What is their hesitations? What would they look forward to? Um, all of that is even as groundwork really important because you want to make sure we're, what we're sussing out for is I don't want one partner to come into the discussion or the disclosure with their child thinking, hey, I'm going to out the, basically usually it's the addict, I'm going to out the addict so that they look like the bad guy, you know, or I don't want an addict coming into the room thinking that they are coming into this disclosure or conversation needing to, uh, I'm going to say take all of it because more so what I, I, the way I approach it is, as the parents, they're coming in and they're saying, hey, this is happening between us. We don't need you to worry or take any of this on. We are going through this, you know, and it is because, you know, mommy uh, did something very hurtful to daddy if we're talking about very young ones. Or it's because, uh, as you were even saying the languaging earlier about the, you know, mom, daddy was looking at, uh, pornography. Many kids now in their teens know what pornography is. Daddy was looking at pornography and it became an issue for him and something that he couldn't stop looking at. And that impacted our relationship. We are doing the work on that. And so when we're talking about preparation for the conversation with children, I have both the addict and the partner prepare uh, either a letter, a statement, or even an outline. When we're talking about younger kids, like especially for younger kids, a parent's not going to read a letter. Like the kid doesn't have a attention span for that. So something like that age range, we are talking about the parent really writing out an outline to keep them as a guide so that they can sit down with the kid and and have a little bit more of a free-form conversation but really knows where they're going and has an idea about the framework that they're, they're sitting in with that conversation. And I have, I, I wanna note, the reason why I have the partner also prepare something to share with the child is because from the child's perspective, both their parents are having different behaviors or something's happening with both of their parents. They're noticing something different in both of their parents. And as I said, often the partner, if the partner, if we're talking about if, if, if commonly when I see the partner is the primary caregiver or the one that's spending a lot more time with the child, the child actually is more impacted by the partner's change in behavior. And so the partner being able to say, this is happening to me, this is what I'm feeling like, and I know that you've noticed these changes in my behavior, I notice that you, I remember that time that you found mommy crying in the closet, things like that. I remember, I know that every time I go to drop you off at school, you notice mommy starts to get shaky and you ask me why mommy gets shaky. These are the reasons why. And, and so the, the preparation for working with a child, the preparation for disclosure and conversation with a child has to have both partner and addict able to come forward and talk about what's happening for them to validate what the child is observing in their parent. And when we talk about resources, when you talk about a book, there isn't so many resources out there, but I'd be also happy to share about what there is, if that would be helpful. Mm-hmm. That would be very helpful. Okay. 
So um, in Mending a Shattered Heart, while it's, you know, it's a classic text and it's been around for a little while, they do have a chapter in there about talking to children. Um, I, myself, I was hoping it was going to be done by the time we had this, this conversation, Carol, but I actually had a, a book that I've been working on and I got a lot of feedback from parents that I was using it with and stuff and that they preferred it as a workbook uh, to actually like work through the prompts and do the exercises in the prompts. So we're changing the formatting to publish it as a workbook. So a workbook will be coming out hopefully by the end of this year to help parents and prepare and understanding how sex addiction impacts their family and then preparing for a disclosure. Um, I also have a blog post on my website where I take parents through some, some basic questions to be asking themselves in preparation. Um, and I, I'd encourage you as well to connect with a CSAT, just as even Carol alluded to, to connect with a CSAT therapist if you want to have this conversation and, ask the, and, and let them know. Like, I would like to do this. Um, ask them if they have their own resources that they work with. And I say why they have their own resources that they work with is because they're going to be the ones to guide you in this. And so it's something that you're going to do with your therapist. If they do not have uh, a framework that they work under, have your, I, I am always welcome to having therapists reach out to me and I can share some worksheets that I have with them and they're therapeutic worksheets, so I prefer to share them with the therapist so that they have an understanding of how to guide their client through them. And I'm always open to that. So if you have a therapist that you are working with, though, and that you want to do this work and your therapist uh, needs some extra resources, please have them reach out to me. I'm really giving with my work because, again, I really love it and I want to, I want to help families in this. Oh, I love that you love it and I love that you want to be that helpful. Piper, tell everybody how they can get a hold of you. Um, your website, www.numi, N-U-M-I, yes. wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S, dot com. And um, can they email you or call you or what? what yes, you they prefer? can email me. Um, you can email me. The, the easiest to, like, kind of probably know is info, I-N-F-O, at NUMI, that's N-U-M-I, wellness.com. You can connect with me on Instagram as well. Uh, I have a lot of people at technology, you know, like a lot of people like to connect with me on Instagram. So you can connect and see my uh, page there. I, I always send out little tips and things. And that is NUMI, N-U-M-I, dot wellness. And uh, through either of those ways, through my website, you can uh, – fill out the form or email me through Instagram. You're more than welcome to private message me. And I am here and available to answer questions and support you if this is something that you are looking towards doing within your family system. Well, and you and I both know that sex addicts, when we sex addicts don't have enough resources, now they're getting more resources than partners are. But families and specifically children don't. And as you indicated, it doesn't have to just be the, the children in that nuclear family under the age of 18. We've got a lot of adult children that really have found out about the family secret some way, somehow, whether they stumbled upon it or another relative shared 
it with them as they got older or finally mom and dad shared that information. And, and I know that it can be just as confusing to an adult child who wonders the same kind of things that a partner does, which is, was my whole life a lie? Does that mean my dad or my mom is not a good person? What what can I believe and what is the truth? And so I just thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. Again, I just want to remind everybody, I am talking with Dr. Piper, P-I-P-E-R, Grant, and you can get her information through www.numiwellness.com. That's numiwellness.com. And as she said, go to her Instagram page and you'll get a lot of interesting tidbits. And you have got to contact me, Piper, the minute that workbook comes out. Okay. (laughs) I will, Carol. I'll send it on over to you. I'd love for you to have a look at it when it's done. I would be happy to. And for our listening audience, you do not know, but Piper and I are super responsive. I email her and within one hour, I'm getting a response and vice versa. So I really appreciate you, Piper. Thank you so much for all the work you're doing. Carol, thank you. Thank you for, for having a platform in which people can access this information. It really, it's amazing. So thank you for having me. Well, I appreciate that too. And you continued success and we will talk soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. Now I appreciate we had a listener that was on hold for the longest time and I was just, I had that buried with lots of, uh, emails that, that were coming in. You can always email me at carol at carolthecoach.com and I will save those emails and try to answer them in the first 15 minutes of the show. So thanks again for listening and we will talk soon. As I say at the end of every show, there will only be one of you at all times. So fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. Make it a good one. <laughs>